Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Broody Valentino, a boylesque performer, puppeteer, and theater educator based in the New York, New Jersey area. Known as the teddy bear with claws, Broody chats with Matt about how he got started in burlesque and how he's always loved theater from a young age. They talk about how going to school for theater has informed his performances and how he tends to lean towards a classic Hollywood style. He talks about the first show he saw, how he's come so far so fast, and about the power he draws from being a confident stage performer. And so, from his unabashed love of birds to the costumes they've inspired, here's presenting Matt Storm and Broody Valentino. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. I am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is Broody Valentino. Broody, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. Um, I was, I've been excited to have you on for a while. I met you through White Elephant Burlesque, mm-hmm. as I've met a lot of wonderful performers recently through the wonderful Victor Devon, which, get that out of the way and drop his name since I've been doing <laughs> that in burlesque episodes. Um, but, um, so, I imagine, like, when I first met you at those shows, you seemingly have been performing there for a while. So, have you known Victor and White Elephant Burlesque for a while now? Um, no, actually, no. I've only been performing burlesque for, it'll be three years in April. Oh, really? Yeah. I would have never guessed that by the amount of professionalism and talent and stuff I see on stage. Oh, uh, thank you. I was, I'm a theater guy from, like, since I was eight. Oh, wow, so, okay. So, um, yeah, I started very young uh, in community theater, and then when I hit about 14, I started doing it professionally. Oh, cool. So I've been, and I'm not ashamed to say I'm 40 years old. So Don't I'm, look a day over 30. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so but I've been doing theater professionally since I was 14. Oh, wow, that's like, great. I still, yeah. And so your day job, I know you work with puppets. Yes. And so is that something that you've always wanted to do, or did you kind of just stumble into doing it's that? It's kind of like the same thing with burlesque. Oh, like, really? I um, was in, my, in graduate school, and I had to take a puppetry class because it was one of the ones that we had to take, and I was like, this is stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Why do I want to wiggle dolls for like? <laughs> and I picked up um, my first marionette, and I started just fooling around with it. And my professor was like, "Oh, you're great. How many years have you been working with them?" And I was like, 30 seconds." <laughs> and from there, he started introducing to me, introducing me to people, and getting me gigs. And oh, wow. then I found this job, which is a city job. So I am a puppeteer for the city of New York. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and it comes with, like, the benefits and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, doesn't pay as well, what does. Right, sure. But, yeah, so I fell into that, and I adore it because, like burlesque, I see puppetry as another medium to tell a story. So, and and puppetry is, like, something... I know a few people find it weird. Some people are terrified of puppets. I don't understand that. I have a friend who doesn't like the Muppets. I'm like, how do you not like the Muppets? Muppets are great, although I have issues with Jim Henson. I will say that. Because I think Jim Henson did some of the best things for puppetry in America and Uh some of the worst things. Sure. Because he brought it to the forefront where everybody was like, oh, puppetry is a thing. But then most of it is with his work is relegated to children. That's true. Like if you go to Europe, adult puppetry is everywhere. Sure, yeah. So when you get so, a lot of the stuff that I do in my personal work is more on the artsy kind of dark side of the puppetry, and people just don't get that. Either. Yeah, they don't. They don't understand why it, there's no Kermit the Frog and no. sunshine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Um, and so being relatively new to burlesque, then how did you meet Victor and start performing with White Elephant? I. Um, just started going to his shows just to see what else was out there. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a Brie Valentino R&D. Like, <laughs> find out what, because I was still developing who I was as a performer. And I don't want to say character because I don't believe I actually have a character. Right. It's just a heightened version of myself. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to see what was out there. And it was kind of calculated because yeah. I was like, what are people doing? What are they not doing? Right. And I want to do what they're not. Sure. Well, and your acts seem to have a more almost kind of old school Hollywood classic style. Is that something that you've always liked growing up being into theater? 
Oh my god, yes. Um, I blame my parents completely because um, my family is, um, most of my family is from Cuba and the other half is from China, which apparently equals, if you look at me, which you can't right now, but if you've ever seen me out there, I look Italian. So, yeah. But, yeah. But and in the heyday of, in Cuba, before the communist regime, it was huge nightclubs and mm-hmm. like jazz musicians would perform there, band leaders would go there all the time. And my grandmother on the Cuban side was one of those people who would perform. Oh, that's cool. So, so yeah, and she is actually the one who, when I first started, and she's like, she's my angel because my parents yeah. and every are super conservative, <laughs> like Trump supporting. Support. Yeah, but I love them because I know, they're of my course. folks. Sure. Like I always say about family, you love them, but you don't always have to like them. That's true. Yeah. And when I first started burlesque, and she found out. She paid for my first set of feather fans. That's so cool. The only like caveat was that she got to pick the color. <laughs> and she was the one who introduced me to the movie Sunset Boulevard oh, and awesome. film noir sure. and all those things that kind of formed the style that is me now. And so when did you first discover burlesque? What was one of the first shows you went to? Um, it was Homo Erectus, Matt Knight's show. Okay. Um, I met him... Um, and it was weird because I met him and we conversed online for years mm-hmm. before we actually met in person. Right. And then um, I took the Boylesque series at uh, the New York School of Burlesque, and he was the the TA, or as they called it, the TNA. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, I just like dove in and I went to every show possible because I wanted to be part of the scene. I wanted right. to be a fixture of the scene, and that's the way to do it. Sure. And there were people who would be like, you look familiar. I've saw, I've seen you around and anything. And when and anybody posted something where they needed a door person mm-hmm. or a kitten, or I was yeah. just like, yeah, I'll do it. Just yeah. to get in there to meet people. And again, like with the white elephant, it was a little calculated. Sure. But it became... It was a wonderful calculation because I got to meet so so many wonderful, beautiful people. Well, yeah, I feel like a lot of performers, with my experience, you kind of get an in through one area. Like, you find one show that you really like and you meet a bunch of people and then, then you kind of branch out from there. Absolutely. Like, I had started DJing with Wasabosco first and then, like, I would meet performers who would roll through, guests from other states, and then they would talk about all these other shows. And then, like, with Victor, I met him at the Nerd Less Festival because mm-hmm. I was their official DJ. And, like, so that has performers from everywhere. Yeah. And so that was, I, f- I find that burlesque is a community that you can easily branch out if you want to do the homework and if you want to step outside your comfort zone a little bit. Yes. And so, like, I've only recently started being a door person and doing some stage managing as well just to kind of expand my repertoire and meet more people. And I feel like, for the most part, the community is very open to new performers and wanting to bring people in. It depends on the show, but yeah. I feel like if you want to do the legwork to kind of get out there and meet people, you can find shows to perform in. And it's kind of daunting when you start out as a new performer because, sure. like, I did my debut at with the New York School of Burlesque, and there were a bunch of producers in the audience who were like, I want to book you, I want to book you, book, I book you. They said that, uh-huh. but I didn't hear from them forever. forever. Sure. So you start to doubt yourself. Right. Like, you start to think, is this something that I really want to do? Or, but honestly, for me, it was a one-time thing. I was like, this is a bucket list. I'm just going to get this done. And it just, it was so much fun. And the fact that people still wanted me to do it. But as a new performer, I was figuring out, like, am I good enough, first mm-hmm. of all? Or why aren't they booking me? And then I just had to, like, kick myself in the ass and just be like, stop putting yourself in competition with people who are not competing with you. Mm-hmm. And just go there and be yourself. Do your thing. And if what you do is what a producer wants, then they'll book you. Don't worry about not getting booked. Just worry about your work. And have you always... I imagine since you've been doing theater since you were young, you've always been comfortable on stage. You've never really had stage fright. Like, you're good at being on stage. Because there's a lot of confidence that comes from you. As someone who's only known you as a performer and hasn't actually gotten to spend a lot of time with you as a person, I saw this huge confidence on stage. You know, you kind of just carry your chest out, and you're very, very present and very there. Is that something that is just from performing and just from knowing yourself... Um, I would say performing had a huge part of it because yeah. it allows you to be your other mm-hmm. rather than you're like you putting on a mask almost like you're putting on a character. So whatever crap is in your life, you just leave at the door. Right. But for me, when I was growing up, because I've always been a larger guy, mm-hmm. always my whole life, and especially in like the gay community, that's like almost a pariah. Nowadays, right. it's getting a little bit more. But back in the '90s and stuff, it yeah. was like you're you're not fit, you're not right. you're not fit, you're not getting fucked. That's what the thing people would say. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah, but 
I was just like, fuck that. You know, it's just like my, and I used to be also a super uber goth guy. Like, cra- I, I can see it with the I, dark hair. I can see it. I competed into Mr. Goth New Jersey pageant and Ooh. came in third. Yeah. I All used, right. I um, used to go to high school. I went to Christian school my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to school with black wedding dresses with a crown of thorns made out of barbed wire that I rigged to bleed. Wow. You know, and they always would like, you know, we're going to exercise the demon out of you. And I was just like, please, there's no demons in this. It's just, this is kind but being a person that eventually was like, if people, I'm a, I never do anybody harm. I try right. not to. Sure. And if they don't like me, screw them. Right. And that attitude carried me into performance, carried me into social life where I would have people that will, some people would consider like out of my league, whatever, right. just like dropping to the floor because they just <laughs> saw this confidence coming out. And I just, Never thought that, and some people, I know it's hard to sometimes get confidence in some right. but for me, like, me being not confidence didn't serve me, mm-hmm. so I was like, don't focus on that, focus on the things you can change, rather things that you can't, and then that shines out of you. Yeah, it's sometimes hard to see that, like, I, you know, there, I think everyone, at some point or another, hits a transition point or an aha moment, they realize, oh, if I do X or Y... I can be stronger, be better, work yeah. harder, or whatever. And it's not always easy to get to the transition point. Um, with burlesque, were you you said that in the beginning you had some doubts, especially when you weren't getting booked. Um, when did you realize that you were talented and kind of have this point of view of more confidence and believe in your performance more? Well, it was mostly if was <clears throat> excuse me if I was having fun. Uh huh. And when I finally stopped worrying about is this going to progress forward and just enjoying myself, that started to come through more in my performances and that built my confidence because people, when you have fun on stage, the audience has fun. Sure. And when people saw that, then like the things like getting booked more opened up because I wasn't worrying so much about myself. Mm -hmm. I was just worrying about enjoying myself. Um, because your acts have a more classic uh, nature, and I've noticed, at least with the male burlesque performers that I'm familiar with, and it's not all of them, but with, like, um, uh, Mr. Gorgeous and Chris Harder and and some of the other, like, you know, world-traveling uh, uh, male burlesque performers, I notice they rely on comedy a lot. Uh, Chris Harder kind of goes back and forth, but mm-hmm. Mr. Gorgeous, for the most part, relies on comedy, and I've noticed that in a lot of male performers, where I've noticed in your acts, for the most part, you rely a lot on drama and, you know, beautiful music and these beautiful choreography. Um, was that an active decision you made? That Absolutely. To, so you didn't want to rely on humor. You wanted to kind of exude this sexuality and this this drama on stage. Does that also come from your theater background and what oh, you yeah, liked? Definitely. When I first started, people always were trying to like pigeonhole me into a comedy. They're like, sure. you can be the big funny guy. And I lived so much of my life being the butt of people's jokes right. that now I want to be their fantasy. <laughs> but, well, I mean, that may, and that makes perfect sense. When crafting your acts, since there is this, this heavy... A lean towards something sexual and something beautiful. Do you start with kind of the choreography first, and then find a song that kind of matches it? Do you find a song first? Is it the act idea, the costume, the colors? Like, where does an idea germinate with you? Usually in the shower. <laughs> um, I would All say best like, ideas come out in the bathroom. Yeah, there's. I've been like ninety percent of my acts that I have have come to me in the shower. There have been times where I'm like struggling with an idea, and I'm like, I'm gonna go take a shower. <laughs> um, but, yeah, with process, it varies. Okay. Sometimes you get an idea. I've had acts that I've never done because I have an idea, but I can't find a song. And then I have a song that I, I want to use, but I can't find an idea with it. And I don't like to force it because sure. then, it's first, it's expensive. Yeah. And then you do it, and you're just like, this is just is not right. And what I love about burlesque is that you can change it. Yeah. But sometimes you invest so much time and so much money in something that you're just like, well, I'm going to do this one again. But I'd rather do something that... It just comes together organically. And just, yeah. In the beginning, did you have a lot of uh, act ideas and try out a ton of different acts? Or did you stick with a few staples? I know performers tend to go one of two ways. Either they're performing the same act over and over again to perfect it in the beginning, or they have a thousand acts and they just want to do as much as they can. Were you one or the other in the beginning? I had too many ideas in the beginning. Too many ideas? Too many ideas because I felt that quantity had to happen if I wanted to get booked. I didn't get the concept of that people become fans of your specific act sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I just started to pump out all these acts and everything, and now some of them I don't even use anymore. So you you have whittled down the repertoire. Right? I have, yeah. What does it take for you to retire an actor, or just you're not happy doing it? I just don't enjoy it. Yeah, once I don't enjoy it, I'm just like, meh. I mean, that seems super simple, but it, it makes sense. You know, if you're not having fun doing it, why would you keep doing it? Yeah, and there are some times where, like, I've done one-off shows where people are like, oh, we're doing a Britney Spears show. And yeah. I'm just like, okay, I'll just shoehorn Britney Spears into something that I have. Um, my Powder Puff act to the Spice Girls Too Much mm-hmm. came out of a Spice Girls show, which I thought was like, okay, this is going to be a one-off kind of deal. And that's one that gets booked most of all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I saw that very recently. Didn't you do that? recently last week week at Roscoe I was the door person yeah and that act I had never seen that before the idea of so first of all I have to ask the giant uh, powder puffs that are your fans essentially did you make those or do they exist yeah I make all my stuff and so how how did you make giant powder puffs they're just literal circles Uh with foam inside of fake fur and sew that thing together that's brilliant yeah and so was that always the idea for that act to just kind of ha- use a fan dance but with giant powder puffs? I wanted to do a fan dance with a different kind of object. Right. I didn't want to use fans. but And the powder puff just became organic, just came to and, me. And that totally feeds into that, you know, natural, like, and old school Hollywood feel. You yeah. know, you don't really see powder puffs a lot now, just like in media. You know, I'm sure like in makeup chairs and they actually still use them, but they used to be a staple of like scene work for oh, like absolutely. portraying an actor on stage or an actress on stage, and you don't really see them as much. So I thought it was very cool. It kind of gives it an, a, an older classic feel. And in like old school burlesque, their powder puff dance was a trope. Like yeah. sometimes you would have the girl or the woman in a giant like container with the powder in it and they would do it around. Um, but I look at the what particularly female performers or female identified performers do because I there are certain things with certain male performers they're either very comedic mm-hmm. extremely like beautific yeah or they're like superhuman they do things that like you know like really really well trained acrobats and stuff like that right and I'm not any of those <laughs> so I want to play to my own strengths and the female performers I find that they're they tend to be on more the poised and like beautiful level, and I more emulate them than I do the male performers. Dirty Martini is a huge influence. On I was just going to ask who some of your influences are. Um, do you have any um, actors um, or theater performers that are in- influences on your work as well? Well, I have what I call Patty issues. <laughs> um, <coughs> Patty Lapone uh-huh. is a huge influence. She can do no wrong, like in. That's the voice of God to me. Yeah. I know I there's plenty of people out there who will fight me on this, but she is just a wonderful performer. She's like she's crazy. I know because sure. I know people who who've worked with her before. Um I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I will. Um, <laughs> when she did Gypsy, a friend of mine was on the crew, and they had to build a liquor cabinet in her dressing room that would would fit a large bottle of Grey Goose because <laughs> and then every prop that was brought in, mm-hmm. she would have to commune and make sure that this was perfect before it was approved for the show. And when you reach that level of of baller, of diva, whatever, uh-huh. I find it so fascinating and amazing. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. Well, her. it's like all the old school stories of Liza Minnelli and all the things that yeah. she would do and how she was. I was just fascinated by it. Yeah. I remember seeing the show Boy From Oz that Hugh Jackman did on yes. Broadway. And like, I just thought like... Just the story, even though she was, you know, she wasn't the lead, Peter Allen was, her character, the character of her in that show was so interesting and Mm -hmm. fascinating to me. And I ended up reading up much more on her after seeing that show. Because I didn't realize there were all these dimensions to her, because I only knew her as she was an adult and an older performer when I was young. Um, And another thing about Patti LuPone is that she takes no shit. Right. There, I, I think it, it was either Sunset Boulevard or Les Mis where something was not contract like in her contract they didn't give her, and the curtain was about to go up and she walked off stage. Wow! And she was like, "Well, give me the stuff that's in my contract because I'm not going to perform if this doesn't happen." And that is just incredible because to have that much self worth in your art, which is mm-hmm. so hard to get, because we're always told that this is fun for you, so yeah. you shouldn't, you know. Take the experience. Take the exposure. No, we work really hard at doing this. And to get to that level of self-worth that you can actually walk off a stage while there's an audience out there to get what you deserve, yeah, that's amazing to me. No, totally. I mean, it, we're also in, in the New York art scene, I think in general, you're kind of trained to take what you can get. And while 
of course, producers work within their limits, and not yes. everybody can offer insane amounts of money per show. You shouldn't. You, I, I always wholeheartedly agree. You should never work for free. You should be getting something for yes, your work, absolutely. Even if it's not always money, maybe video of your work or you know, whatever the exchange is. If it's something that's worth it to you, it furthers your self worth. But the minute you start doing things for free and it's not for charity and it's not for some understanding or exchange you're devalue, devaluing your own work and the work of the other artists in the scene. Absolutely. And it's a fine line to walk, but I feel like you really want to create this bedrock of value to what you do because then otherwise it gets harder to keep doing it. Correct. And there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a difference of doing what you do and love in your art form for something that you know what you're... Like, if they say you're doing this for free and you know you're going into that, yeah. that's different than being taken advantage of. For sure. Yeah. Like, for example, my podcast. I don't I don't have advertisers at the moment. You know, I'm always still trying to work on that. But for mo- the most part, this is a free thing that I do to promote people either that I like, that I care about, or that I'm interested in. Um, but I know the value of it yes. to those people that I have on and to myself, which is different than doing something for free and just throwing it to the side Absolutely. and not really um, caring for it. Um, have there been any performers, now that you've been in the scene three years, that have inspired you that you didn't know existed when you started? Um, oh, that's a really good question. Huh, fancy Feast. She's, she's incredible. She's a dynamo. Yeah, the 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 first thing I ever saw her perform was her um, uh, Fifty Shades of Oive act, uh-huh. which is just, I mean, being Jewish and being someone who didn't get Fifty Shades of Grey, who has a wife who's obsessed with NPR, just hit all these buttons that it was so brilliant. But even if you don't know any of the source material, you can still find humor in yes. how big and ridiculous it is. I find that a lot with, like, nerdlesque. Mm-hmm. When I go to a nerdlesque show, sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what they're doing, but I am totally in it with them. And you see, that's a sign of a strongly made act as yes. well. Because reference material is great, and if you want to hit something on the nose, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to bring in the most of the audience, there should be touchstones Absolutely. that other people get. D- being a fan of nerdlesque, but not necessarily always getting it, are there any nerdlesque nerdlesque acts that you do or that you want to do? Uh, nerdlesque isn't really my thing. Okay. And I'm a huge nerd. Yeah. Like, I love things. I like, I love Archer. Archer mm. is amazing. Archer I, is I a brilliant love, show. I love the Disney, you know, oeuvre, whatever you want. And, but it's just not what I want to present on stage. You prefer to present the, the classic style that you've been doing. Yeah. And it's not to say that I would never. Like, right. I have one nerdlesque act that they asked me, um, I was doing a cosplay burlesque show, and they uh-huh. asked me to do it. And I do the penguin from Batman. Amazing. Um, but other than even then, I do like not the Tim Burton version. I right. would do like the Silver Age, more dapper version of it. Because of course, right? Um, but just I love nerdlesque. It's just not something that that's that really interesting. Me. Yeah. Like a lot of the dynamics I've had with previous guests is either they're really into it or they're not, or like. But they're usually if they're if they're a huge nerd, they do nerdlesque, and so I think it's really. Fascinating that you make that decision that you your style your preference of style doesn't necessarily fit it and you don't want to force it right but but leaving the door open that if you find yourself inspired that you see some dapper old school Hollywood nerdy thing and you want to represent it you will which I think is really interesting well I I think sometimes in this community some people can pigeonhole themselves mm-hmm. and so much of it informs its uh, the other forms that just enjoy all of it and if right. you want to do it just do it yeah i think i think the important thing that some burlesque performers forget and just art and entertainers in general is they forget to enjoy the art they make yeah sometimes you get so focused you know i run into it so many times with mus- musicians i've interviewed only a few but a few jaded musicians on this podcast and a lot of what i hear in their voice is that they do it because they, it's just who they are, yeah. but they don't know how to enjoy it anymore. You know, I find that anybody who talks down on modern pop music has lost that joy. You know, not all great, all pop music is great, but there is joy in the art if Absolutely. you want to find it. And I think that's a, a major problem in a lot of modern media now is that there are people who just exist to put down that art whether they're in the space or not, which I think is toxic to any art form. I think it's hard when you're, especially on a performing artist side, it's hard not to, because if you define yourself as a performing artist, there's so much rejection that goes into that. Yeah. 
that you need to have an outlet outside of what your main form is. If not, that rejection just gets bogged down on you completely, and then you don't want to do what you love anymore. Yeah, and I think also it's very easy to become jaded, if especially if you know how good you are or at least believe in the work you're doing. It's very easy to become jaded at other yeah. people's work as well. Um, we talked about you drawing inspiration from old school theater and old school Hollywood. Are there any other things that have inspired acts that you've done outside of theater, like books or movies or TV? Birds. Really? I'm a huge bird nerd. It's ridiculous. Like, I I know way too many things about birds. Like, I will go out with... Um, with my fiance, and he'll and he'll be like, "What is that?" And I will know the species where it's from and the migratory pattern of it. Wow, is that something that you were just interested in since you were a kid, since or since I was a child? Yeah. And so you just did the research, looked it up. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. One thing I love about them is there it's it's called sexual dimorphism, mm-hmm. where the males are the pretty ones usually, right. and the females are like, well, the drab and more because they have to nest and take care of the babies, so they're usually camouflaged. But the like the males are the ones that go out there and they have to do the dance and all the courting rituals, and I find that beautiful. Um, And so I wish more men were like that in human life. Sure, I mean, you know, I personally am not afraid to wear bright colors. I like bright colors, but I've noticed that most men's clothing is geared towards darker colors, which I also like. I mean, I I wasn't necessarily goth, but I was a metalhead in high school, so I wore a lot of black t-shirts with words Mm -hmm. on them. Um, but I think that's really interesting. And so, ha- so you're you based acts based on, are the costumes based on birds? Is the performance based on birds? Is it not something specific? Well, one specific act is what is my bear of paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the color scheme of the costume is based on one of the birds of paradise. And it was my. Um, because in the bear community, in the gay community, there people are grouped into animal names. You're a bear if you're a little larger and hairier and tend to be older. Okay. You are a cub if you're like that version, but younger and more in a smaller version. You are a, uh, now it gets a little confusing because I believe an otter mm-hmm. is a thin, hairy man. Okay. And a wolf is an older, thin, hairy man. And a panda, which I think is offensive, is just an Asian bear, which, yeah. But, and, I'm not a fan of that one. Um, and one time I was asked at a bar, who was like, what are you? And I said, I was a boar because I'm bored of all of it. Because <laughs> it was just so, I find it so stupid. Right. And so that act was in reaction to that where it was like, I'm going to be this new kind of bear. This like, you know, I'm not afraid. And in the bear community, there's a, a look. It's kind yeah. of lumberjacky. Kind yeah. Of, masculine kind sure. of thing going on and I was just like I'm going to subvert that completely and be this one who wears rhinestones and has a big old peacock tail and, yeah. just, and it's a mating dance to like for this Got kind of creature yeah. that's really cool and so you know um, over the years um, being interested in birds do you find that you pick up literature based on birds and like go to exhibits based on birds and I stuff I have so many books on birds <laughs> it's ridiculous and it's not like Things don't change in that right. world. Sure, of at course. All. They probably tend to stay the same. But the photography does. Right, as, sure. As technology has gotten better, some of the pictures you see are like, or of birds that you couldn't get because they were too far away because they're super shy in mm-hmm. the natural environment. But now you get it because they have these amazing cameras that are like 12 feet long. And your partner's a photographer, right? He is, yeah. Yeah. And so does he Does he share your love of birds? Have you kind of... No, not no, even a little not bit. not at all. No. <laughs> Thought maybe he could take some photos for you of birds. He probably would. But, <laughs> but, but no. not, not interested. That's very funny. Um, that's really interesting. I, I find that, like, you know, you do interviews for a long enough time, you ask similar questions, but you expect the answers to be, you know, this or that. So the fact that you're pulling your inspiration from something in the natural world is really cool. I'm a huge nature nerd, too. Yeah. Because nature is just so beautiful and brutal mm-hmm. and, like, to see things like a ladybug, which, you know, for most people they see as this cute little bug. It's on like a lot of like kids um, like paraphernalia and stuff like that. But it is a voracious predator. Yeah. You know, and things but people like, don't think of that. Yeah. And things like that are just amaze me completely. Like in the um, planet Earth, I think it was one or two, I don't know which one, there's this fungus mm-hmm. that grows out of bugs' heads. I've and it seen that. It's like this huge, grotesque, beautiful sculptures. Yeah. And it would literally make some of them go crazy. Right. It like controls them yeah. almost. And which stuff is really like that is so bizarre. cool. Yeah, there's a video game called The Last of Us that came out 
years and years ago now, and that was essentially, it was another zombie game, but these zombies were controlled by a, like the virus was a fungus. Yeah. And so they all clicked and looked like mushroom people. It was really weird, but really interesting. And they took some of that idea from that fungus. Yeah. And it's just really fascinating. And just, nature is just... So, like, it's so much happens without us even thinking about it because it's just there around us, even in a city. Sure. There's so, much thing, so many things, and I just love it. That's, that's, really, yeah. that's really cool. Are you a fan of camping and being out in, no. in nature? No, not at all. <laughs> that's um, where you draw the line. Camping, I, I can do. Right. There's just, just got to be a certain level. I, I can't rough it. I just, I can't. Not, so if you have, like, a nice cabin with electricity and running water. I can water. do a tent. I can do a tent. Oh, you can do a tent. Yeah, okay. and just running water is a thing. And yeah, like, sure. Uh, my fiancé is a huge, he'll, like, he goes every year with his father, and they rough it. Oh, yeah. Like, they don't know if they're going to find water sometimes. And I'm like... No, no, I'm not yeah. going. Enjoy. Go, yeah, go. I'm a bigger fan of campsites with like flush toilets and yeah, running water. That's fine. I'll sleep in a tent, but I need somewhere I can go to guarantee that there's water available. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need it to be like a, like a fancy like glamping. Not real, like glamping. Yeah, 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 I don't need that, but I just need some like I don't want to some like, amenities. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I need to know I'm not going to die. <laughs> right, exactly. Nobody wants to die. Like the first time I ever went camping and someone said, oh, make sure you hang your garbage in a tree or a bear might attack. I went, mm, yep. I need to be maybe elsewhere. Yeah. Um, um, I know that you've done some traveling and you've performed in other cities. Um, do you like traveling with burlesque and do you like performing at festivals? I do. I really do because um, especially with boylesquers in other cities, there's not that many. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends. If you go to like the big cities like Chicago or Seattle, they'll have a good contingent. But when you go up to like Vermont, there's maybe one. Yeah. And so to see more of it, to introduce yourself and to show that off, and it, people just, their minds get blown completely. And then sometimes that one person doesn't have as much reference as we have here. Sure. And so then they get inspired. And I've gotten so many emails and stuff from from boylesquers in other cities who are just like, can you offer me suggestions? Can you help me? And everything. That's and great. I love it. Absolutely That's love awesome. It. Um, and if I recall correctly, towards the end, of, I think it was towards the end of last year, you were in Alternatives, right? Yes. And you won an award, didn't you? Beautiful weirdo. That's, so let's talk about that a little bit because it's one of my things. The, the time that we got to talk the most was at the White Al- the the Silver Tusk Awards, uh-huh. which I love Victor's Awards because a lot of them are just very tongue-in-cheek. Here's a ridiculously named award for something that's actually really great. And so, of course, Beautiful Weirdo is one of those one of those things. Um, did you expect to win that when you won? No. Absolutely uh, not. Competition when is, is a little weird for me because uh-huh. how do you judge art? Sure. So it's a little strange. Um, I'm not going to throw, I'm not going to say, hey, no, don't give me that crown. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> But if I don't win, I don't get upset. Just yeah. as long as I do my best. Sure, and, and I think. But I think awards like that, like something I love about the Silver Tusks and things like Alternatives that give away these great awards that sometimes are, have ridiculous names or, or, or you know, um, uh, oxymorons for names and stuff <laughs> like that, is that it really shows the fun side of burlesque. Absolutely, and it, it shows that. Something that I feel like a lot of people in the community are forgetting is that this is supposed to be fun. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I try and not dive into the drama of the scene, but and every artistic scene has drama, but I feel like too many people are just like, this is a contest, I have to win, and I have to be the best. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best in your field, but when you do it at the expense of kindness and the humanity of the rest of the community, you lose a lot of what the point is. Yeah, that's huge in the theater world. That's like theater as... As, especially musical theater, right. as silly as it looks on stage, it's cutthroat backstage. Is it really? It is. It really is. Like Because you're always auditioning and you find out what person is doing what song. I have that in my rep. I know I have a higher a note than they, mm. so I'll do it in front of them, before them. And so there's tactics like that. I haven't seen that happen in burlesque, but right. it's it happens in art forms. Sure. And I think once you get to that point, it's becomes too Machiavellian and you're not enjoying it anymore. Right. Yeah, once you're trying to figure out how to take down somebody else, yeah. it, it, it's what's the point? Then why keep doing the art? Like, because you're, you're just going to hurt someone else or yourself. Like me personally, the only person I compete with is myself. Sure, you want to be better than you were a year ago, two yeah. years ago, three years ago. Are there any things? So, a two-part question: Is there anything you feel like you're not doing well enough yet that you feel like you could be doing better? When it comes to your acts or your creation process or anything, I think I could add more comedy. Definitely. Okay, I, it's something that I would like to do 
to add more. But for me, I don't want to force it. Right. If it's something comes in, I don't know if I would ever do an act that is strictly comedy throughout, but maybe an act that is like more on the beautiful side. And then in the middle, there's like this ridiculousness and then it continues. Gotcha. And then is there something that you feel like you've really perfected over the years that you weren't as sure of in the beginning? Drama. Yeah? Yeah. So you didn't, does that mean like in the beginning you didn't think that you could be serious and and, and Well, I didn't think, dramatic? And this is going to sound really narcissistic, but I didn't think <laughs> that the burlesque scene wanted that or mm-hmm. was ready for that because most of the stuff I had seen was very comedic, very tongue-in-cheek. Sure. And there are some acts that are very smoldery and beautiful. Sure. But sometimes they lead... And there's nothing wrong with leading toward the, the sexual side of it. Right. But just doing something that is just a straight-up character doing something completely dramatic and that being it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that was a thing that people did. And so that's what I wanted to do. And I just... Let myself allowed myself to do it. Well, yeah. If I if I had to pick a, a boylesque performer who performs dramatically, you're one of the first names that comes to mind. Um, and does that come from? Did you mostly in theater do dramatic roles? I mostly did cheesy musicals. Really? Yeah. And I think it was since that was what I did the most. I wanted to branch out away from that. Got it. But now with when I do my puppetry stuff, that stuff is uber dark and drama. Yeah. yeah. So I think the two of them kind of blended together to create what I do now. And so if you did musical theater, then you're a singer. Yes. Um, but I don't think I've seen you sing in burlesque. Is that a thing that you wanted to do while performing? I would like to. Yeah. The, the mic situation always worries me. Of course. Because, uh, like, I've seen people, like, sing, holding a mic, then they put it on, then they yeah. take it off, and then they pick it back up. Like, I would like to get, like, you know, a uh, wireless headset, or yeah. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So is that something that is kind of in development that you would love to do, but you just haven't done yet or found yeah, the way to do it? Definitely, yeah. That's very cool. And so do you have a favorite, since you worked a lot of musical theater, do you have a favorite musical? Um, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd is Sweeney genius. a good one. And did you were you in a production of Sweeney Todd? I played Sweeney. <laughs> I of did, course you yeah. did. I could totally see that. That's cool. Um, so I guess you probably share the opinion that my uh, wife, who you met earlier, does that the movie was terrible. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's. Um, I love the original with Andrew Lansbury. Sure. Um, and then there was the revival with Michael Cerveris and. Patty Lapone. Yes. Which, um... Clearly you're a fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, but then, uh, I don't know, Madame Carter, like, dub her, please. <laughs> Even if it's ridiculous that she's not singing. Because that, it's a singer's show. It's, yeah. It's basically opera. Yeah. And to have people who can't really deliver that, I'm just like, come on. And so was she your biggest problem with the, the film version? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I still think that, um, what is it, the song Pretty Women... Um, mm-hmm. uh, with um, between um, Alan Rickman and and uh, Johnny Depp, I think is a beautiful performance. Personally, I really like that version of it. Mm-hmm. I've since seen theater productions, and I see why people don't like it. But because I actually saw, and this is so weird for Les Mis and Sweeney Todd, I saw the movies before I ever saw a production. Oh, interesting, because I didn't grow up as a theater kid. I got into way more theater when after I met my wife, and so both movies, I was like. These are okay. And then, of course, when I bring that up in a theater crowd, they're like, what? They're terrible. Um, but but going back now and having seen some of the, the the stage productions, you know, video clips or whatever else, I understand there's a huge difference. They're not even yeah. close to being the same thing. I think especially with um, Sweeney Todd, the characters are so larger than life that that film acting doesn't suit them. Right. Like, they have to be these caricatures. And I think that the Burton aesthetic tipped its hand too quickly. Yeah. Like, if they look that creepy already, you're just like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. right. And it did get kind of give up the ghost. Like, there was no doubt that people are going to do bad things in this movie. Yeah. And there is some sense of, in the in the story of, you know, justice, there's revenge, but also the sense of right and wrong, whereas in the movie it just seems like it's bad people doing bad things to other bad people. Right. Which is the summation of the show anyway, but yeah, it does kind of give up that ghost pretty quick. And there's these, in the in the original, there's these little interludes of the chorus singing these things that follow, the, that uh, advance the plot, mm-hmm. which just informs it so much because it's like saying the morality of the stuff that is happening and creates this beautiful theatrical picture, which they did not have. Right. And it was just like... Mm-hmm. Um, is there, do you have a favorite more modern musical things that have come out recently? 
Um, Come From Away. Come From Away. It's, I've it's, not seen it, but I've heard the songs from it. It is incredible. Yeah. It's, I think it was like maybe 20 actors who play, they said, over 800 characters. Wow. And just, I love a good ensemble theater sure. piece. And they were just slipping in and out of them, and it was, you never got confused. Because they were awesome. just so well thought out characters, and their performance was just amazing. That's very cool. I like cried so many times, even not as sad parts, just because what they were doing was so wonderful, their yeah. work, that it just made me cry. I had that experience at Hamilton the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up a history nerd and a hip-hop nerd, and so uh, my wife, knowing people in the theater community, they, uh, a friend of ours is the lighting uh, designer at the public, and he went, did you get your Hamilton tickets yet? So we ended up seeing it at the public before it went to Broadway. And I didn't know I was going to be so emotionally attached to it because I didn't know that much about it. I hadn't heard the buzz. Because, again, I'm not really a theater person. I like theater. And I love going to it. But I'm not someone who, like, seeks it out. Right. Um, and then seeing it, that's the experience I had. Like, the whole first half, I'm laughing and enjoying the high moments. But I'm also tearing up at the production value and yeah. the music. And then in the whole second half, I cried most of the second half. And so, you know, I think... I think I learned a lot about theater from that show just because I didn't know what I loved. And also before that, like, I love the music in Sweeney Todd. I have no desire to listen to the Sweeney Todd soundtrack. I just don't. It's just not a thing I go to. But with Hamilton, I listen to it on repeat. And I think I think the, the, the style of the music informs it as well. And while I love beautiful pieces, I think I'm more of a modern music fan. I love cl- more classic stuff, but I like more modern music. And so shows that have a more modern feel yeah. tend to pull me in more. Absolutely. Which is interesting to me. Like, I, I didn't love American Idiot, but I liked a lot of the music because I was a Green Day fan, and they were more or less direct translations of the Green Day songs. Right. Um, is there, is the, when it comes to music, you know, besides being a fan of musical theater, do you have a specific kind of genre of music that you prefer? Goth rock. Goth rock? Yeah, I, I love goth rock. I love, uh, 70s singer-songwriter, especially the, the females. Mm-hmm. I love me some Stevie Nicks. How can you not? I love the Carpenters. Of course. Um, I imagine a Joan Jett fan. Yes. Yes, yeah. how can you not? Um, let's see. Um, Kate Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tori Amos. And so do you find that any of their aesthetics have informed, even though you lean more towards classic acts, do any of their art inform some of your burlesque as well? Well, I do have a few numbers, at least two, to a few Suzy Sue songs. Okay. Um, she was just like a goddess for me growing up, like, cause as a goth kid. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, of you course. Can't lo- you cannot <laughs> love Suzy Sue. Um, yeah, I've always been, I don't, I don't know if it's, because I'm a gay man or what, but I've always been more attracted to female artists than male artists. Mm-hmm. And, and those women just informed me as not only as a, as a, an artist, but as a weirdo, because mm-hmm. they're all weirdos and they're all their own way. Right. Yeah. And so it's funny that you've mentioned a few times your goth aesthetic growing up and that there's not really a sense of that now, knowing you now. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a, an active decision that you made to change out of that as you got older? Sometimes you just turn a page. Yeah. Yeah. And it happened to me because there was this club in New Jersey. It was called uh, QXT. And I went there every Friday and Saturday night for years. Mm-hmm. And then one day I missed and the owner called me and asked me if I was okay. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm just not coming tonight. He was like, but you have to. You're furniture. <laughs> and I was like, I am not an Ottoman. <laughs> and from there, I just like, just stopped. Yeah. And yeah. But it's funny. I find that musical aesthetics can be more internal than external. Like, when we're all in high school, I think we feel like we have to wear our style yeah. uh, all the time. And while I find that I'm still, I still love new metal and heavy metal and I'm a hard rocker as much as I like folk and the other genre, but I don't wear that as much yeah. anymore. I still love it, but I don't feel the need to advertise that I love it, so to speak. And I still have friends who, from that scene, who still dress like a goth as hell, mm-hmm. and they're always like, "You sold out, you sold out." And I'm like, "No, man, I just evolved. I just changed. I, I changed. I grew up a little bit." Yeah. Um, talking about before how you want to inter- uh, incorporate singing into burlesque and some of these other things that you feel like you can work on do you have a trajectory over the next year two years five years of what you'd like to be doing in burlesque that you're not doing now um no because I just see it as it's a journey yeah and those those turns and everything I, I, I believe that life in itself is a journey you have a destination but it's just many roads that will twist and turn and for me burlesque is like that I will take all these twists and turns with different acts and whenever 
I'm supposed to make that turn, I do. So you're more uh, interested in just kind of seeing how it goes and not making these huge, long, extending decisions. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if you make uh, too many long, extended decisions, if you never reach that, then it's a bummer. Sure. And that, might as well just get there when you get there. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we talked earlier about you traveling. Is there anywhere you've not traveled to do burlesque that you'd really love to? Oh, I want to go to Europe. I That's the dream. Europe. Yeah. It's uh, just so damn expensive. Right. Um, and is there any performer that you've not performed with, either someone you know or don't know, that you would love to do a duet with or that you've thought of doing work with that you haven't yet? I would love to do a, a duet with like a Dirty Martini or a Tigger because yeah. like I think a Dirty Martini they both have different ends of the spectrum. Sure. That I think they would bring out things in me. Sure. Yeah. Um, I imagine Tigger as a legend in the scene has informed some of your work and just has been an inspiration. Um, are there? Have you had that moment with another performer? You said that some have reached out to you where you felt like you were able to help them or guide them. Is yeah. there any specific story where you feel like you were able to really give good life advice to a performer? There is one who I, I don't feel comfortable giving his name. That's fine. Um, he is also a larger performer, and he reached out to me because he said, I don't know how you do it. Because he was like, every time I go on stage, which at that point was only once or twice, mm -hmm. he basically is almost crying mm -hmm. before he goes on. And I basically, I told him, like, don't worry about what I do because I can never do what you do. You can never do what I do. Right. And I want to see what you do so I can see what I'm not doing. <laughs> and which totally made him light up. And he was just like, how do you do it as a larger person going out there? And like, you're putting yourself, you're, how do I say this? Um, you're competing with people that are not competing with you. Right. You know, just go out there and live live your life if they don't like it if one person doesn't like it in the audience there are 50 who do yeah that's true and um, when you go out there as a larger especially performer or any performer that's an other yeah you're inspiring somebody in that audience yep I've had so many people after a show come up to me and thank me just for being them yeah. on stage and like giving giving showing that anybody can do it yeah. and that the only person stopping you is you yeah which, Absolutely. Which I think is hard to remember sometimes when you feel like you feel uncomfortable in your own skin. You assume everybody else is thinking about that too when most people are worried about themselves and what they have. To yeah. Do. And believe me, there are times, even though I exude all this confidence on stage, there are times where I'm backstage and I'm like, I don't want to do this right now because I feel terrible about sure. the way I look and the way I feel. But when I go out there, I'm like, the audience doesn't care about that. Yeah. You know, I go out there and I do my thing. And usually by the end of the act, I'm like, ow, I was worried <laughs> over nothing. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're feeling more on the negative side or when you're having a rough day, is there a specific thing you go to to kind of cheer yourself up or get yourself in a better mood? I focus on the work. The work? Yeah. Because I, you've, a person, a performer, puts so much time and so much, sometimes literal blood and sweat and tears into this that why not do what you love? Mm -hmm. Even though it it'll remind you of what you love about it. And when you're feeling like shit or you don't want to go on stage and because you feel terrible, when you go out there, I will guarantee most of the times midway through the act, you're like, what was I worrying about? Sure. You know, yeah. Um, I, I always like to ask, and we covered this a little bit, but I always like to ask performers as like a final thought of a kind of inspiration that you would offer or, or advice you would offer to performers uh, it could be in burlesque or just in general in the arts that maybe you didn't know when you started that you would want to share something that like you think would help someone now that you didn't necessarily know when you first started performing. Yeah, allow yourself to be happy. Really. I mean, sometimes we can get bogged down as an artist to being like either moody or, or, or taciturn or anything, but allow yourself to be happy. Allow yourself to love what you do. And if somebody gives you a compliment about it, enjoy it it's hard yes. there are times where I'm just like oh thank you you know like there's that whole like imposter syndrome kind of deal uh -huh. I like to call sometimes um, secret identity syndrome yeah like you are a hero you know you're doing these things and you deserve it you put the work in enjoy it sure damn it I mean, you do so much to do what you do on that stage, you're allowed to enjoy it and it's nothing wrong if you do sure I think so many people are just scared of enjoying what they do yeah 
Like they have to be they have to be working to the point of stress and anxiety. They can't just take it in and enjoy what they're lo- what they love. Yeah, or they're like, if I enjoy it, I'm somebody else is gonna feel bad. Right. Like I, I remember um people there was, somebody was posting that they got into this festival and they got into that one and someone was like, I feel bad when people do that because I didn't and I don't feel like part I, I don't even remember who it was, right. but I'm like, I get it. I get it. it sucks. Yeah. You know, I, I've been rejected from festivals, and when I see people, I'm like, well, damn, why, why are right, I going sure. there? But I don't want to rob them of their joy. No, of course. It's like when I see my friends on, I have not necessarily friends, but other people on Facebook who, like, groan and moan if they are either single or unhappy or whatever, and they, they comment about all these happy people posting happy photos on Facebook. I'm like, I get where you're coming from. You're in a bad place, and so it's hard for you to see happiness. Yeah. But you shouldn't be calling out other people's happiness because you are not happy. Yeah. And so I think that's really a, a brilliant and simple point, that if you are happy, you should just enjoy it and not worry what other people think. As long as you're not hurting anyone or, or screwing it over anyone by enjoying yourself, you should enjoy yourself. And I think a big thing about, especially in America, is that we don't allow ourselves to be happy yeah. sometimes. Because happiness is, you know, when you live unhappy, you're kind of striving or anything. Yeah, yeah. That's what our perception of it. Right. We are in this grind and you're not, but when you're happy, I mean, it's like all your right. muscles like declench and you're just fine. I'm not like, puppies and unicorns all day long. Sure, of course me, not. But, but I'm, if I do something that I'm proud of, I will enjoy doing it and being enjoyed and enjoy my work. Yeah, sure. Um, do you have a favorite of your acts? Right now, it's my the last act that I've created. Um, it's my Sunset Boulevard tribute to Norma Desmond because it's so dramatic. It's like borderline <laughs> narcissism. It's so dramatic. Um, and, and it's a character that was so formative to me as a child growing up. Um, my grandmother showed me the movie, mm-hmm. and it was just that this woman is so over the top, but that's her natural state. Yeah. And I just loved that so much, and that's that, that's my current act that I just love to perform. When you have a, f- a favorite act that you love to perform, do you shop that around as a, pri- a primary, or do you just, you know, let people kind of pick and choose if they're familiar with your work? I let people pick and choose. I... I some producers ask, and I'm fine with offering. If they ask. But I just also like them to bring, like, what do you like? Yeah, what do you, what want? Do you want? Yeah. And also, they curate a show. Sure. So it follows a flow and everything. And I, I don't like to be like, well, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to do I'm gonna do your show, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Right, yeah, like, screw you, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, Broody, this has been wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to be oh, on the my show. Pleasure. Thank you. Um, it's always fun. I mean, I love having people on that I know really well because I want to share them with the world, but also people I don't know well because then I get to know them and it yeah. inspires me to want to get to know them better. So thank you for coming on. Um, as someone I'm very excited who did their research before Hell coming yeah, on the did. show, um, if you would be as so kind to sign us off um, and close the show with our saying here on the show. Music is life, and life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.